Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. This week, part four of my epic six-part interview with legendary comics writer and editor Jim Shooter. In this episode, Shooter talks about the behind-the-scenes story of the birth and rise of Valiant Comics, Valiant's strange beginnings publishing Nintendo Comics, the reasons Shooter left Valiant, the strange stories of Defiant and Broadway Comics, Secret Wars 2, the power of paying attention to fundamentals, and much, much more. Hope you enjoy this 90-minute episode. It begins right after this ad. Here's another thing. Before they, uh, when I was still at Marvel, when they decided they wanted to sell the company, they went through several suitors, one of whom was Western Publishing, one of, one of which was right. Western Publishing, Richard Bernstein, right? And uh, he was serious. He, uh, he actually uh, uh, carried out the whole due diligence uh, process and was, was on the verge of buying Marvel. Uh, what that meant was that, that he had had several meetings with me and as part of his due diligence thing. And then the last meeting he said to me, um, uh, he said, the more I learn about this place, he says, the more I'm convinced I'm buying you and a bunch of used furniture. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> now by me, he meant the creative guys. Right. Okay, you plural. But, but uh, uh, anyway, so, so it went down to like the wire. And, and the thing is, Shelley Feinberg and Golden and other, the, the six guys who own Marvel, they'd taken it private. The six guys who own Marvel, uh, Cadence Management Incorporated. Uh, Shelley is a major weasel. He, he uh, I mean, he, Bernstein told me, and I can just picture it, that every time they have it all settled, that Shelley would come up, he wants a nickel more, a nickel more, you know. And so finally, Bernstein, they were having what was supposed to be the third time, the final meeting for the third try, and he starts this nickel more again. And Bernstein said, that's it, I'm done. And he walked out, and he said it cost me $500,000 in lawyers and accountants, and I walked away from it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the funny thing was that uh, uh, I heard that story from Bernstein later, but I, I heard it first from the lawyers who represented him, Baker and McKenzie, because that's the first law firm we went to when we were trying to buy Marvel. Mm -hmm. And the guy says, funny you should you know, mention that. <laughs> we, we almost just did that, you know? And uh, so I, I, um, they wouldn't show me any private stuff, but they yeah. did tell me some of the stories. But, uh, you know, so anyway, that's why when I was out of Marvel and I was a pariah, no one would hire me. I couldn't get a job. I, uh, uh, I went to Bernstein. And uh, I said, you know, he liked me. And he owns Magnus and Solar and all this. So I went to him and I, he was happy to see me, sat, sat in his office, and he said, uh, I said, I said, are you aware that you own some comic book characters? He said, no, I do. And I said, yeah, they're very good ones. And I said, you know, I would really like to get my hands on those and, and publish them. And, uh, you know, he said, well, we'll license them, do you? He said, he said, do you have a publishing company? I said, well, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he said, oh, okay. He said, well, I'll tell you what, we'll start a company. And so we went through this little dance for a while where he, he wanted to get Western to restart Gold Key Comics, right? Mm -hmm. And his people just didn't want it. 
do it. I mean, his his upper management people just resisted it tooth and nail, right? That's how he told me. He said, this isn't worth it. He said, if we do this, and these guys are all against it from the get-go, he said, it, it's, it's just not going to work. He said, tell you what, you go start a company, and when you when you get it, when, you, when you're ready, you call me. I will hold those characters for you. Well, he held them for two years. And that was when comics were kind of going into another little boom. He got calls from Mike Richardson. He got calls from Marvel. He got calls from DC, making them offers for this stuff. His licensing guy, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, his licensing guy used to call me every week. Are you sure you're going to do this? You, I got all these offers. I could be making a lot of money. You know? And I said, yes, I'm sure I'm going to do it. Well, it took two years. There was some dancing around in between there. Tried to buy Harvey. They couldn't prove that they owned what they were selling. This guy out in California bought it anyway. Um, uh, got together with Stan Weston and, and uh, some of his guys. Couldn't make anything happen there. Um, finally, find this this uh, company, Triumph Capital, and uh, and we ended up did they venture capital company. They ended up putting up enough money for us to, to start. So anyway, it was like that was that happened just before the ABA. So it was like late late May, I guess. So I was going to the ABA. So I went there and uh, and as I somehow knew that Bernstein was going to be there. And he was. So I went to the Western booth. And I walked in and he said, hey Jim, how you doing? I said, I'm ready. He said, you're ready. And they had a new license in there. It was Jim Pizer's. He says, Pizers, he says, sit down with him and make a deal. He said, do anything he wants. He said, he'll tell you what the deal is, you just do it. Pizers looks like So we sat down. I, I dictated a deal to him. But it was fair. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was basically, you couldn't, couldn't front load anything. It had a real small advances and guarantees. Bigger on the back end because it didn't have much money. <laughs> right, right. But I said, but if I make it a hit, it'll make a lot of money, you know? So, uh, yeah, so we licensed it, and that was, that was going to be the basis, and then uh, we started the company. Uh, you started with the Nintendo and wrestling comics. And I, I, started, I started with, with the comics I set out yeah. to do, and then Masarski got himself a gig as the entertainment lawyer for Nintendo. Right. Meanwhile, he was supposed to have given up his law practice. However, shortly after we started, he informed me that he was sleeping with a venture capitalist. His name was Melanie Oaken. And, uh, literally in bed with her. Literally in bed with her. And they got married eventually. Right. But uh, uh, so all of a sudden he's not my partner, he's her partner. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my other partner, Winston, objected that this was a conflict, right? Sure. So that is a big conflict. So, so, yeah. so <laughs> they, they, they convened the board and yeah. they wanted to fire him. But they couldn't do it without me. And I said, I'm not going along with it. And we're just going to close the whole thing down. I said, well, then you're going to close the whole thing down. You know, I said, I'm not going to. Well, then you'll owe us your $50,000 guarantee, and, you, and you'll owe us this. And I'm like, Sue me. Oh, my God. I'm getting up. You know, take it all. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so anyway, they said, well, you know, what, what, what do you want? You know, and I said, I'll tell you what. The day Winston tells me he's okay with it, that he's happy, satisfied, you know, and because they kept insisting, you don't, you're not, you know, uh, an accountant. You you don't know. We're telling you, we're financial people. And we're telling you he's not good enough. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can't I can't win that argument. I can't. I don't have. I'm not a financial person, and I can't tell financial people that they don't know what they're talking about. 
So, so uh, I said, okay, if that's true, that's fine. Okay, I have to accept that. On the other hand, until he tells me he's happy, I'm not going to vote for it. So they went into a negotiation with him, and he negotiated himself a wonderful deal. I mean, he ended up yeah, keeping half of his stock, which we, me and Masarski and each had, we each had 20%. So he kept 10% uh, unrestricted. Uh, he uh, was, uh, he had no vote, but it was unrestricted stock. Uh, he kept, he had a three-year contract, they paid out his contract. Mm -hmm. um, he, uh, uh, and then he, <laughs> just to piss them off, he filed for unemployment. Wentz was a very wealthy man, but, yeah. but he, did, he just did it to stick it to him a little bit. So that means he made money when Valiant was eventually sold to it. Right. Oh yeah, oh he made more a than Zorsky did. Yeah, because, wow. because when it was sold to a claim, it was sold for $65 million of a claim stock, but a claim stock because they bought Valiant rose. Yeah. And so he was able to sell at the peak of the market and made a lot of money. And P.S., just before they sold it, they dividended themselves out about $20, $30 million worth of cash. So he got a piece of that, too. And uh, so he sold at the peak of the market. Meanwhile, Masarski or the other was, they had to, they vested over five years. Right. And so by the time it got to where they were selling much of their stock, their price had plummeted and their claim actually went out of business. So Masarski made some millions of dollars on it, but Winston made more, which, which just delighted him. He was so happy with that. Because uh, Masarski, you know, like sleeping with Melanie was, you know, what, what got him out of there, you know? So anyway, uh, Winston was, Winston, when he told me he negotiated a great deal and he was happy, um, so I you, said, okay, fine. You were finally, once you cleared out the, the Nintendo WWF comic, you're finally able to do the comics that you really wanted to do right. with the new universe. Yeah, like I said, Masarski uh, became the uh, entertainment lawyer for uh, uh, Nintendo and made a deal with himself. He was on both sides of the table. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we're, this little tiny undercapitalized company of mine, we're giving $300,000 to Nintendo for licensing these characters, which I don't want. Right. And, uh, but he got paid well, so he didn't give a shit. And then, uh, same deal with the wrestling. Um, because of me, he was, he, we met the people at the LCI, whom I knew, and, and, and because of them, they represented wrestling, he, he was able to get in touch with the wrestling people. And, uh, and before you know it, he's representing them for mm -hmm. media and entertainment. And he does it again. He makes a deal with himself, and he gets paid a lot of money. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, all of my, my capital is, is, is going to the advances for shit I can't sell. Yeah. And I mean, we did the best we could because I mean, I, I mean, I, I would have quit, but the fact is, number one, where am I going to go? <laughs> Nobody wanted me. Uh, number two, the only people who would come to work for me were friends. J.J. Jackson, Don Perlin, I, I told Don, don't leave Marvel. God, you, you know, you're an old guy. You know, if, if this doesn't work out, then what are you going to do? Over there, you, you know, you get paid well, it's secure, you know. I'm sick of that place. I want to work with you. Okay. So, so, uh, uh, and uh, Jackson, Debbie Fix, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, a couple other people I knew. And then Bob Layden. We were in the new office, so that would have had to be like six, seven months into it. Uh, his contract uh, expired with Marvel, and they didn't want him. They, and they had, had, had their fill of him. He had previously burned bridges at DC, so he had no place to go. 
And so uh, he kind of shows up on my doorstep with a suitcase and another dime in his pocket. And I said, well, you know, you can, you can ink for us, but you have to do it on staff mm -hmm. and just flat rate. You know, you, just, you, you show up every day, you ink all day, and, and, and that you get paid what you get paid. But we, well, we paid them reasonably, but, but not, I mean, we didn't have a lot. Nobody was getting paid. Yeah, it was a Marvel money. No, <laughs> right. But uh, so anyway, uh, so he, he, he came in, and the thing is, Perlin came in, I thought, great, Perlin is an adult, he's a, he's a regular guy. He used to run the Perlin's Pirates over at Nashville, so he's, he's probably pretty organized. So my plan was that he was going to run the bullpen, and Bob was going to be like the staff artist. Well, guess what? Perlin didn't turn out to be very good at running the bullpen. He really just, <laughs> it was too confusing for him. And what he really wanted to do was sit there and draw. But Bob actually had a knack for keeping the trains running on time. And so it, it, I didn't, totally organically, I didn't like decree it or anything, I just sort of shifted jobs. <laughs> and so that, that worked out pretty well. And Bob was still doing some making. Um, but anyway, so that we had this little crew. But the thing is, if I quit, they'd close the place and all these people would, would be out of work. And because they had dared to work with me, they would be unemployable. They were, they were blacklisted. You know, I mean, they, uh, they, that's Ralph Macchio or Marvel. He had this wall, Jim Shooter's wall of shame. You know, really? all the enemies on it. And, you know, seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Class act, that Ralph. Like Nixon's enemies. List. Yeah. Sweet. I mean, just, just, you know, I mean, like, uh, so, so, so my plan was, I thought, well, what am I going to do? You know, I'm doing all this crap. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Uh, I got all these people here. They're depending on me. Um, I thought, well. Here's Masarski and his, and his wife, wife-to-be, and they, they want money. That's all they want. They don't give a shit about comics. And, uh, and I thought, so, what if I make this successful? And what if I make a lot of money? And what if, therefore, I can go back to Reifenheiser and say, I want to buy these turkeys out? Mm -hmm. You know? It seemed like a plan. All I had to work with was Nintendo and wrestling. I did the best I could with it. We did some okay stuff. That's I mean, Nintendo reneged on everything they promised us. They were going to give us their mailing list. No, they were going to have us packaged with their with their games. They were going to have us on display with the games. They were going to mm -hmm. no, nothing. Same with wrestling. Sell it in the venues. Uh, you know, help us promote it. Mailing list. Reneged on all of it. I think Masarsky promised it to himself, and then he couldn't deliver. But uh, uh, so we couldn't really make a go of that stuff. Finally. Finally, I got to do my stuff, mm -hmm. and then and that was a struggle for a while. So I spoke to uh, Dinesh Shamishani, yeah. who's the current CEO at Valiant, uh, last weekend, mm -hmm. and he said uh, he was making a really strong case that this is the really the only set of intellectual properties to come out of the 1990s that still survive today in the bin. Yeah. I'm yeah, they said somebody who voted Harbinger the comic of the decade. Right. Um, so you, the 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 uh, key books did well, um, but the Harbinger, EXO, uh, all the books that kind of came around with those just seemed to really attach a chord. Yeah. Well, what happened was so the Magnus came out first, and it was selling reasonable numbers, like seven or eight thousand. Uh, Solar came out second, and it, it started like 50, 60, and then trickled down to 40. Uh, uh, what was next? Harbinger 
was next. Harbinger never did so well as 30, 40, and then it trickled down. It actually got as low as 26 on the fourth issue. Uh, and yet it's considered the best of the bunch. Yeah, and then and then EXO, uh, we did EXO, and that uh, that also didn't, wasn't doing anything. It was like, like solar numbers. But then it started to catch on. Yeah. Then, then all of a sudden so things started to, to take off. Uh, and uh, we came out with Shadowman that did well. By, we started actually in March of 91, and by February 92, we were turning a profit. And then we had a couple of months of a kind of break even. And then the, when uh, Archer, Archer and Armstrong came out, that was a big hit. So we made, made good money on that month. And then that was, and then after that was Unity, and the money was rolling over big on ways. I mean, it was making $2 million uh, a month. It's astonishing. Pre-tax profit, $2 million a month. So as I mentioned, I'm working on a book about the history of comics in the 1990s, uh, same, same model as that book. Um, and the graph of the industry-wide sales is amazing. Because the industry starts the decade at about $190 million. And then about the time you're talking about the spike of way up to about $400 million uh, industry-wide sales. It continues to go up until the, uh, the return of Superman. Yeah. And then essentially just craters out. Yep. Of course, you lived all this, so I'm not telling yep. you anything you don't know. So that by the end of the decade, sales were actually cumulatively lower than they were at the beginning yeah, well, of the decade. From, from the very peak to the bottom, at least in that, that year, that following year, it would, went from, we call this 100%, we're down to 18%. Mm -hmm. 18%. Catastrophic. Yeah, it's, it's a, but the thing uh, uh, with the Valiant books, I mean, uh, we, were, we were publishing eight titles a month by the time they got rid of me. And we were making a more, a way more pre-tax profit than Marvel was with 156 books. A month. So that says something. Yeah, that says something. I, 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 the, part of that spike, part of it was value, part of it was image. Well, that, yeah. that's one of my pet theories is that you're kind of in some of the analogy I make in the book is comparing uh, the rise of value to image to the rise of uh, French music in the early 1990s where Nirvana hit, Nirvana hit massively. And it was a hit that the, the younger generation really got, the older generation didn't get. And there's a sense of revolution that this is something that our parents don't get, but we like that. This is a new world that's throwing away everything that came before. Yeah. Similarly, when Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld and the rest of the group created their image books, it was a sense that we're, we're casting aside all this old stuff. This is a new generation and we're the new thing. What's interesting is that this is all, a lot of their stuff now, you look at it and it's kind of terrible. But from a fundamental standpoint, but you're producing this work that really was fundamentally sound. Well, right? the thing is, well, the number one, when the image guys left Marvel and they went off to start their own thing, so who did they call? They called me. like. How do you get lettering done? You know, <laughs> they're asking me questions like all this stuff. So I'm, I'm like, so I talked to whoever, a couple of them, and finally I put them on the phone with JJ, and she's explaining production to them and stuff. We did the same thing for Milestone. When they started out, they didn't have a clue. So JJ and I went over their office. We spent a day there. You should have started a consultant. Yeah, really. But yeah, we just, did it. we just did it for free. I mean, we, we, were, yeah. we, were, we were just having fun. But anyway, the thing is, uh, it was so funny when they were starting out, they called, how do you get lettering done? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
like, oh, God. Anyway. Uh, they had um, no idea how to do No, but the thing is, that at Valiant, once again, because we'd spent all of our money on Nintendo and, and wrestling and all going into Masarski's pocket, and then he had the audacity to use it. First of all, he didn't give up his law practice. He did nothing with Valiant, except he came in every day and did his law stuff. And he used our post-it meter, which pissed me off. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, uh, That's uh, hilarious. Uh, uh, the thing is, okay, here I've got no money, you know, I've got no weapons to fight with, except man hours. That's mm -hmm. all I had. Uh, so so you can ask Debbie. I mean, I, I would be the first one in the morning. She would be second. We'd be there till late at night. She she was commuting back and forth from Nyack. I at least lived in the city, um, uh, and we we would, uh, you know. People there all hours, every day. At one point, I counted. I worked 530 something straight days, including Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's, everything. Uh, my hair got long because I never had time to take get a haircut. But uh, the thing is, we had no money. I was writing most of it, and I thought the only thing I got to fight with is story. Mm -hmm. You know, because I can't get hot artists. I mean, I was very lucky that Berlin came because he did a great job. Uh, Layton was there because there was no place else for him to go. Windsor Smith wound up with us yeah. because he had also burned his bridges at Marble in DC. And he had no place else to go. And he, uh, and, he and Bob, I mean, he knew me of course, but he also knew Bob, so, so he, he, he turned up. Uh, other than that, you know, David Lapham. The you great know, artist you had on Magnus Robot Fighter. Oh, Artie? Art, Art Nichols? Is it Art Nichols? Yeah. yeah. yeah at first it was Art Nichols. Yeah. yeah he was, the trouble with Art was he was, uh, he could draw great and he could ink great. He, he was a very talented guy, just wasn't reliable. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, eventually we started getting some guys, but at first we had guys out of the Cubert School. David Lapham, the guy, he was delivering newspapers for a living when we got him. Uh, uh, and he wasn't really good, but he was like Miller, he learned quickly. You know, um, and when then we had the, the, these, like I said, these QB guys. We had this new, new artist named Casada. Right. <laughs> he did Captain N for us, and then uh, so then we finally started getting a few guys. Well, mostly what we got is guys no one else wanted. We got Ditko, no one else wanted. Mm -hmm. Ditko actually he came in and he just looked miserable. He's just like, he's, do you have any work for me? You know, like I said, you're Steve Ditko. You know, yes, you're not right. leaving here yeah. without a job. You know, um, you got uh, you put him on. From Space Day, right? Yeah. Just this yeah. No, I actually got him to come back to Marvel. And one of the right. problems is he didn't want to do any of the. He didn't want to do the Spider Man. Regular. Yeah, he didn't want right, to do Spider Man. Because, right. Bad. So, so what he wanted to do was a character. If it was a hero, it had to be all noble. No, no, no you know, Mr. A. There's white, right. there was black, yeah. there is no gray. So the only character we could come up with that was pure and noble enough was Ron. But he liked that. Yeah. And he had fun with it. And he did great stuff with it, I thought. And then, so then after I left Marvel, they threw him out. Yeah. And and so he came to me kind of like, I wouldn't say hat in his hand, but he was not happy. He was like really depressed and he wanted to, you know, know if we had any work. I said, you're not leaving here without a job. So he turned out to be really great at the wrestling cons. Oh, P.S. Good guys, the faces and the heels. Yeah. White, black. Sure. So, so, uh, um, so he did good at that, and then he eventually did Magnus and some other stuff for us. I, I had to talk him into Magnus being a noble character, but he, he won. It's <laughs> <laughs> his plasma work, too, right? Uh, he did Dark Dominion. Dark Dominion. Dark Dominion. Dark Dominion. Right. But in the middle of that, he, he quit. And I said, just, Steve, just finish the first book. You can't walk out in the middle. And he, all right, I'll do it. And uh, 
The reason he quit is he said, I can't do this. I said, why not? He said, it's platonic. I said, oh yeah, I'm in there, Aristotelian, right, yeah. I said, I'm Aristotelian. I said, you're going to have to explain that one. <laughs> so I said, well, Aristotle believed in, you know, what you see is real, like, what you see is what you get. Plato believed in the real world, in the unseen world. I, I, he said, I don't, I don't, I'm not platonic, I don't want that. I said, you, I talked to you when I was coming up with this book. I asked you all the things that you wanted to draw in a comic book. You told me, I pitched this to you, you liked it. <laughs> I said, and now you're telling me it's too platonic? So, so he, he said, oh, all right, I'll finish the first one. So he did. And, uh, uh, and then I guess he did other stuff for us, I don't know. But, but the thing is, at that point, he was actually getting, getting some work. I think some stuff for Dark Horse and other places. I don't know. But uh, uh, then the, we started getting it. We had Ditko. We got Stan Drake. Nobody wanted Stan Drake. Yeah, right. Are you kidding me? We got John Dixon, who Australian, great artist, and nobody wanted him either. So I had I had all these old guys, <laughs> all the old guys that no one wanted. And we had a party one time. We had um, we had just for the old guys, we, so the young kids could meet the old guys because the old guys didn't really come into the office all much. So uh, Stan Drake said Stan Drake was paying alimony like five women. He said, I, 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 he's like, I can't. I gotta, I gotta work every day. I gotta, you know, I got all the stuff I have to do. I'm doing Blondie. I'm doing this. I'm doing your stuff. And I, I said, I said, I said, do you eat lunch? And he said, Yeah. I said, How about this? I have a car waiting for you right outside your studio. When it's time to eat lunch, you go and get in the car. Car brings you right to the door. You come up and you have lunch with us. I said, Car's waiting. It takes you back. It was a half an hour. Come on, you know. So he said, All right, I'll do it. So we did that. I did this on my Visa card, by the way. This wasn't the company doing this. Uh, um, so anyway, we had we had him <coughs> and all the other guys, and uh, they're leaving some out. There, I think maybe Herb Trippy was there. There were a few people there. Maybe that didn't even work for us, but uh, Ralph Reese was there. Right. Uh, yeah, he did some. Yeah. Um, it was a bunch of anyway. All these old guys. And the thing is, the nice thing about QB kids, Kubrick uh, school kids, they, they don't know which end of the brush to hold, but man, Joe made them professional. And they, they respected their elders. And they, if you ask them to do something, they said, yes, sir. And then you turn the brush around for them, and then they do it. <laughs> but, but, uh, the, but the thing is, I mean, like, they didn't, they didn't come out real educated in the, in the, in the, the craft of it, but they, they, did, they did learn. Joe taught them to be respectful. They were so anyway. All these old guys. And it was like they were in big heaven. They were just like, you know, just loving all, you know, getting to meet all these stand right crazy. Anyway, Steve wouldn't let us take his picture because he doesn't want like people take his picture. But we took pictures of everybody else. And they said, "Don't you take my picture?" I said, Relax. It's me. Me. You're dealing with it. It's okay. So you had a great year and a half, two year run at Valiant. There's a lot of those early issues that I think are as good as anything. The early XO is. is uh, Really an interesting character, a man yeah. lost out of time. Um, I'm a huge fan of the um, first run of Rye. Yeah. Uh, it's about as dark and despairing comic as I've ever read, which makes it fascinating. Um, the Harbinger Kids, as I mentioned, growing up, um, you really had something going there, and then unfortunately it just... It's well, I mean, like, they, they what happened was, uh, like I said, Masarski was married to the venture capitalist. Once we really turned the corner, which was in February, all of a sudden, they wanted to sell the company. 
And I'm like, why? And then, but they were threatening me. They were saying, well, you, you are $4 million in debt and we're just going to you know, shut you down. I said, well, I don't believe you because we're starting to make money. So why would you shut us down yeah. you know, when we're now finally able to pay you? you know? So we got in this little match. Um, but they went ahead and, and uh, started uh, working on this. And, and their plan was Melanie's brother worked at Allen & Company. Previous to that, he had worked for the uh, IBM pension fund. Melanie and Michael started out working for I, I Bank of New York, some, I don't know, a bank, and they did. They they used to do two per, two person teams at this bank, and they did venture stuff and investment banking. Well, they they were successful at that. They had a string of successful deals. And they said, "Why are we doing this for the bank? Let's do it for ourselves." So they went out and they tried to raise money, and they had a great deal of difficulty raising money until Melanie's brother got IBM to invest $10 million. And so once IBM invests $10 million, yeah. then other people, you know, oh, well, if IBM's in here, well, it was because of the brother. But anyway, so he left there and he started working at Allen and & Company. And uh, uh, so they started, uh, they said they wanted out and, and they, they said they proposed to sell the company. And I said, well, Tell me what the terms are. Tell me the deal, you know. And they kept not telling me the deal, but we kept being taken to lunch by this, these people from Allen and Company, and they would sell the sizzle, sell the sizzle. Oh, because Allen and Company is involved in entertainment. There'll be movies. There'll be this. There'll be that. We're involved with Toys R Us. We'll be toy deals. You know. And, uh, and I'm like, yeah. What's the deal? You know. Well, what are the terms? You know. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. You know. And so it's 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 like a soft cram down. Is what it's called. And so they're doing this, and I'm like, tell me the terms, you know, I, okay, fine, you guys own the majority, and you want to sell, fine. I want to know what's going to happen to all of us, to me. So finally, uh, uh, they, they, they're on it, on it, on it, and they're, they're, then it starts to be a serious cram down, and they're, they're really trying to cram it down my throat. And uh, well, the deal was going to be that Allen & Company was going to buy uh, Valiant. Um, and, and then they were going to sell it, uh, buy a stake in Valiant, and then sell the whole thing. Flip it. Um, so uh, uh, anyway, it, it, the, 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 what happened was that they, they, it came down to like this, this, this thing where they told me, if you don't sign these documents by Monday, we're just going to close this up. They picked, they handed me the documents on Friday evening when I was leaving to go to the Diamond Distributor Conference for the weekend like hoping I wouldn't be able to read the things, right? And then I'd just be forced to sign them. I thought, no, no way, I'm signing something I didn't read. Well, I did read it. I, you know, I'm one of those guys who stays up all night and reads the thing. And uh, big, thick contract. It, was a, it included a 10-year employment contract for me that specified no salary, specified no title, you know, and, and uh, it specified no duties. Uh, in it was a, a section where uh, if I failed to report to the CEO, the CEO was going to be brother, Masarski's brother. If I failed to report to the CEO, if I failed to obey the CEO, or if I failed to engender good morale, they could claw back 100% of my stock. Hmm. So, let's see, you keep me around until you sell the thing for the big flip. Yeah. Right. And then the next day I'll piss off Jade Mady and I'm gone. Right. And you get all the stock. 
Okay. With a total poison pill, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, then, and then on top of that, they had all these reps and warranties they wanted me to sign that were just false. Well, guess what? If anything ever blows up, it's my fault. I'm the CEO and president, and I signed the stuff, so it must be, you know, my fault. All this stuff. They, uh, uh, I had a letter from them. When they first started doing this, they had to give us a letter. To have a, a clean balance sheet, they had to give us a letter, give me a letter, that uh, uh, waived all events of default. So I had that letter. And as soon as this started, I took that letter home <laughs> and other documents. And Layton had a key to my place, so I had the locks changed because I didn't trust anyone. Um, so by that time, he'd moved to actually in the same building. Um, but at any rate, uh, I took that letter home. And I came in the next morning, and you, you could tell that somebody had been going through all my stuff, you know. Because I'd actually, I'd done the James Bond thing. I'd left things in a certain way, you know, just to see. <laughs> and uh, they clearly been trying to find that letter. And uh, so I had that letter, waiving all events of default. Because, see, if, if they could get that letter back, then they could claim default, stock is worthless, they'd get rid of me, you know. Um, so, uh, uh, anyway, they, they have, so supposed to sign these documents, and I just, all this reps and warranties and evil, horrible, you know, terms. And I, I'm not doing this. So I thought, well, my choice is, you know, I die, I die today, mm -hmm. or I help them make a lot of money and then they kill me. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. So I just said no. So then we got. I went to. A, they convened the board. They had to add a member to the board to have enough votes to fire me. They had enough votes to add a member. They didn't have enough votes to fire me. So they added Fred Pierce, and uh, they fired me. And I never forget, Fred said, Jim, it's, it's just business. Yeah. That's his words, exactly. And uh, so, okay, I got fired. I had to tell you, you know, when they're firing me, I was sitting there like, I don't have to stay up all night today. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't have to stay up all night today. And, uh, you know, because they're, they're still doing all the work and all this stuff. So anyway, I just, uh, I, uh, uh, they, they got away with it. They were willing to falsify documents, lie under them. They sued me. They spent $70,000. No, I spent $70,000 defending myself against having to pay them my $50,000 guarantee. They didn't care about the $50,000. They spent $140,000 suing me to get $50,000. And the reason they did that is because if they could get the judge to say that there was a default, then that accomplished what they were trying to do. It was just make sure my stock was worthless so that then they could go ahead and not have to pay me anything. So uh, I won that one because I had the letter. And, uh, yeah. But you end up behind this money, this company that you brought to this great Yeah, so they fired me and then, yeah. you know, I was, I was fired. They had to pay me for another couple of months though. Um, but, uh, and then the lawsuit kind of hampered Defiant right from the beginning too. That's, we know, started Defiant, uh, uh, yeah, see. Marvel with the plasma thing. Yeah, we did the trading was, card set, which I have over there, by the way. That was ridiculous. Yeah, that's, well. <laughs> and, and they even brought, and they even, even brought a title into print for a few issues to sort of Well, they had a register with their... intent to use in England. Right. So when we searched it, we didn't come across it. It was registered with intent to use. They had the name and nothing else. Marvel UK. Yeah. Right. It had nothing that else. The American right. And then, and then uh, 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 we did our card set. Our stuff was a call created. Matter of fact, I created that in 1987. And uh, uh, the uh, 
because when I didn't have anything else to do, I just worked on stuff I might sell someday, you know? Yeah. And uh, so we won in court, but they, 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 the best thing was, we, our lawyers met with their lawyers and worked out a settlement. Right. The settlement was that we changed the name from Plasma to Warriors of Plasma. Right. And we had a document, we signed it, and we sent it to them, and they never returned it. And so a month passes. So we talked about it and uh, concluded, I'm not sure who came, came to but we concluded amongst ourselves that what they were going to do was wait till our book was just about to ship and then get a temporary restraining order. And if you do that to a little startup, you know, where you're expecting to get the big check and then, you know, your book is held up and they you know, put you out of business, which was their goal. And uh, so uh, I called, I called Cavacore and I said, what, what can we do? And uh, Marie Jose Danielle said, I'll take care of it. So she interlaced our books with all the Marvel books. Every palette, <laughs> every palette that had Marvel books on it had Warriors of Plasma. And so they could no, stop our book, right. but they'd have to stop all of theirs. Every single Marvel comic would not ship. And so they withdrew the temporary restraining order, and they went after a temporary injunction. That uh, we eventually go to court. The lawyer, the judge, was Michael B. Mukasey, who later became the Attorney General of the United States. In the morning, he's trying the first World Trade Tower bombers, and then in the afternoon, he's doing comics. It's federal. Life of a judge. So anyway, <laughs> uh, three tests for a temporary injunction. We won every point of every test. And at the end of the trial, he calls their lawyers up to the bench, and he covers the mic, but I can still hear him. And he says, he says, you ever use my court as a business weapon again? <laughs> he says, you will regret it. He said, and you better not appeal. And they didn't. <laughs> they threw the suit. And, uh, but that's what it was. I mean, it cost me $300,000 to win. Is he the one who compared Marvel to Goliath? Mind you, to David? Could be. I don't I remember. I seem to remember hearing that. In the opinion? Yeah, uh, something. Maybe, something. I think it was in the opinion where and the, the shame is you get out into right. the market finally, and it's so depressed at that point. There's just uh, not as many buyers as there. Well, the month that we launched, month, month we launched, uh, Bill Shanus guaranteed me that we would sell three million copies. We sold six hundred thousand. That's not bad. No, but that was the that was the very month that the industry fell off the table, and he Bill was shocked and apologized and said, "I." I can't understand it. All the orders are done. I said, I can understand it. Everybody's choking on their inventory because they're all stuck with the Superman crap. Right, right. You know, it's 14 million copies of Superman. It, you know, you, you you can roll them up and sell them as cordwood. You know, it, anyway. So uh, so we soldiered on for a while. We had an offer from uh, uh, New Line for nine million dollars, but the guy who put up the money wanted more. Stupid. We're going to go out of business. So then they go away, and then I get a call from Victor Kaufman, the receptionist, Sheila, she says, is Victor Kaufman on the phone? You want to talk to him? I said, yes, I want to talk to Victor Kaufman. So I talked to Victor Kaufman, and he, he said, um, he said, I want to talk to you about buying your company. And I said, great. He said, Just, you know, when, when can you meet with me? I said, now. <laughs> he, said, he said, well, come on up, get in the cab. You know, come on up. So I went up to his office, and I took Winston with me, who was my financial guy still. And he came back in and, and defined to Berkowitz. So I took Winston with me, and, and we went into this room, and we're this conference room. We're kind of standing there. In walks uh, uh, Corman and Kaufman, 
And Victor Kaufman says, hey, Winston, how you doing? You know, <laughs> old buddies. I thought, they were to have. Yeah. So anyway, they made us an offer for $11 million. And once again, the, the, the guy who put up, the venture guy put up money, he wanted more. He had the sweetest deal in the world. Uh, and he, he kept doing that nickel, nickel more, nickel more thing. And Victor Kaufman called me up. He says, He's come, to, come back someday without this idiot. And of course, eventually they were out of business too. So. But, uh, you know, so eventually that, 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 that you can't you take $300,000 out of a little startup like that. It's really when you look back on that line of comics, do um, you feel like it was able to achieve some of the potential you saw on the properties? Yeah. Yeah, we, Plasm came out okay, mostly because of David, you know, because uh, I, mean, I, wrote, I wrote good stuff, I think, but he, he really, he really made it happen. The first designs he did, I kept telling him, all organic, everything organic, everything's alive. The, the, right, the rug is alive, the, the, the chairs are alive, blah, blah, blah. And so the first thing he comes back, he's got these guys with these metal guns. And I said, no metal, <laughs> everything's alive. Finally, the light bulb was on, and then he went nuts, and he started doing all this great stuff. Um, but th that was that came out good, and then I, he actually started writing it for a while. He, he got his feet wet. I mean, he, he wasn't great right off the bat, but he, he, he started really to develop quickly, like, like Miller. He started to develop quickly. And, and uh, other than that, uh, most of what we did I, was regrettable. But, okay. You know, it's like, Dr. Minion had a few moments. Uh, we got this guy, J.G. Uh, uh, Jones, drawing him. Yeah. He, he's great. He's yeah, great. you were with him later on. Uh, um, he came to Broadway. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he did Fatal. And then uh, we had, you know, a couple other, we, there were good ideas. It just We didn't have the manpower, the money. Uh, I couldn't do another 500 straight days of staying up all night. Yeah. Couldn't do it, so. So it didn't, you know, it did never, we Never seem, really we all seem to sense an, uh, a satirical vein throughout your work, your own work that you've written, starting sort of with Secret Wars too, especially that one. <laughs> <laughs> and but it seems to sort of come to fruition with the stuff that you did with Broadway. There seemed to be like a self awareness. There was almost like a meta thing going on that uh, well, yeah, I, was. What was what was going on there with that with that Broadway stuff? Was that was that with I sense that there was some uh, a need on your part to sort of through your writing express something about the medium that maybe was yeah we we were we were kind of making fun of some of the stuff that was out there the, the image it was stuff the, the bad girl stuff right so yeah. we so we did a bad girl who couldn't run she had her high heels on right and and. And, and would put her arms like this if she was jumping someplace, you know. And, and you know, I mean, we tried to. I got, first of all, Broadway we wrote as a team. Right. But let's let's try this like TV writers, you know. So we had four people writing, and every once in a while we have a guest person we called the fifth chair. Right. Um, but uh, you know, and 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 yeah, we we did, you know. I guess when you're in a group like that and joking around and stuff. It, so we, we made a little fun of that. We made fun of the Image Comics with that Till Death Do Us Part. Right. And, um, uh, yeah, we had a little, a little bit of fun like that. And also in, in the Secret Wars too, uh, I don't know, I, we were having all that. We had gone through this whole thing with, with Steve Gerber 
and uh, yes. uh, so in the first uh, issue of Secret Wars 2, I kind of made fun of Steve. Right. He wrote me a lovely family. <laughs> no, it was great. Well, he, he was really you know, pleased with it. You know? Actually, it was almost like, ironically, it was almost like a Steve Gerber homage in a way, because yeah, that's right. the sort of thing but, but he, that Steve would yes, do. Exactly. So, and I like, think a lot of people miss that. I, they saw it as being a more kind of acidic thing, but I, I saw it as more of a playful sort well, of... most people didn't get it at all. <laughs> right. Most people didn't get it at all. You have to be yeah. able to... Yeah, you'd have to really be knowledgeable to get it. Uh, right. Second... Uh, um, but those that Steve did, even, loved yeah. it. He sent me his gushy family. Sure, that's great. And then uh, um, that makes uh, sense that he would. And then, and then, <laughs> well, then shortly after that is when Steve did his settlement with Marvel, yeah. and uh, uh, then part of that was he was going to come back and write the Duck. And so, his first issue of the Duck that he sent me was a scathing attack. On anyone else who'd ever touched the duck, uh, Claremont, Mantlo, uh, other writers who dared to have any, uh, Wolfman, anyone who ever ever dared to have anything to do with the duck, and it was not subtle, and it was it was just it was mean mean spirit, it was a mean spirit in yeah. a big way. I mean, it starts off with Howard on that bus with the with the liver lady, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, it starts off with him on the bus and these this gang of thugs. Mantlo, uh, Wolfman, Claremont, you know, are punching Howard. And then Howard somehow recovers and, and the evil things happen to these evil people. I mean, he just really makes them evil and, and they, they get their just desserts. And I said, nah, sorry, Steve, you know, you can't, you know, can't do this. You probably did him a favor, actually, because, I mean, part of what's great about his writing is that his satire was nuanced. It wasn't yeah, well this wasn't. This exactly. was this, this was, this was a sledgehammer. <laughs> right. So I told him no and then we get into this fight about it. Yeah. And then he decides he's gonna sue Marvel again. Oh, and one one of the things he does is he is he brings up the fact that we lampooned him in Secret Wars One. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I gave our lawyer my the, the family and that end of suit. <laughs> Shut him up. <laughs> Oops. Uh, so <sighs> well, Secret, Secret Wars 2 was a real interesting piece. It was uh, a sequel to one of the most successful comics that, up yeah, to that time. Well too. It, it did do pretty well, but it was almost the antithesis of the first one. There were no real major battles. It was more philosophical. Uh, there was a lot of social satire in it. Yeah. Was that, were you consciously sort of working against form with that? Did you say... I'm going to do something completely. This is this is going out to the oh, yeah, core absolutely. audience of eight-year-olds, but I'm going to write this like it's a. Well, I didn't think our core audience was eight-year-olds. Well, no, I mean that was the preconception. That was, was Mort's that. preconception. Yes, I, I always thought we were talking to a whole group. So did Stan. Right. And uh, uh, yeah, I really wanted. Also, when I came up with the branching thing, I wanted to have lots of stuff that could be set up stuff for them to solve in their issues. Right. And uh, <clears throat> so. Uh, I mean, there was enough action, I thought, but it wasn't. That wasn't. It wasn't the battle world thing right. at all, and, and I, that was on purpose. I actually got an award from some New Jersey uh, science fiction statewide science fiction fan club gave me an award for the uh, best science fiction comic series of the year. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah, but. Uh, 
Yeah, and I, I tried to. I mean, not like I, there was a Vinny character in there. I made fun of him. Right. He didn't. You know, it was fine. It was, you know, uh, there was. Uh, uh, oh, I don't know. I, I can't remember. But I, I you know, I, I was trying to make it entertaining. And uh, sure. Uh, Milgram was actually it was the first issue. Was drawn by Sal Buscema. That's why Sal hates me to this day. Um, I, I told I told him I said because we needed somebody fast because they wanted to chop chop. Right. Want those revenues in there. Um, so I thought, who can do this fast enough? Sal. Sal can do it fast enough. So I, I called him. I said, look, I got this project. I said, but it, it's really this isn't just another comic book. I said, you need to really pour your heart into this. I said, I don't want any stock shots. I don't want any, you know. Shortcuts and want you know it's a lot of characters, you know, and I want you, you really have to. I said, and the, the reward is you'll get really big royalties. It's pretty sure and guaranteed you're going to get really big royalties. So if you spend twice as much time on this and you get four times the royalties, you're ahead. So he said, oh, yeah, okay, fine. So I sent him the first plot. He does the first issue, absolutely standard stock shot, help Salvi send the hack work. Now Sal. Hacked at a very high level. Yes. But I mean, because he, he were talented, but but he just turned it out. He did that floor level thing, so he didn't have to do perspective. He, you know, he had all these little stock shot things he would do, and and, and uh, the rectangular mouths. And, and <laughs> so I said, you know, so I talked to him. I'm good. Actually, do you have? Do you still have coffee on the pot? Yeah. Can it's I just it's a curry. Like, yeah, just one, a cup of coffee? Sure. Yeah, Black is fine. Black is fine okay. for me. Thank you so much. You want anything? I'm good. Now, anyway, yeah, I was going to ask, do you want to take a break? We've been doing it for a while. Oh, I don't care. If you guys are <laughs> okay. looking, if you guys keep I, I'm having a great time. I well, I think we, we just had really only a few more things to cover, right? Like the Broadway stuff. We, we could do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> just enjoying the story. 50 years of stuff. That's the thing. Well, anyway, the thing is, Sal did the whole first issue, and I, I thought, there's no way I'm letting him do the first issue and get the big royalty check for doing this crappy job, right. and then having to get somebody else. So I scrapped it, and I, I had Milgram do it over. And Milgram is not as good an artist, frankly, but he, boy, he worked his ass off. Yeah. I mean, he, it's, it wasn't as, uh, you know, it would have been great if you had George Perez or somebody uh, doing it, you know, but, but you know, I'd rather have Milgram and Aloha do what I tell them than... You were actually never able to get Paris. Paris, Paris worked at Marvel when I first started there, and I'll tell you something, but it has to be off the record. Okay. okay. You want me to stop the... We won't transcribe it. We won't transcribe it. Basically, George, George, when I came to Marvel, he was doing uh, four, <coughs> books, four books a month. And... Um, they were all group books. I mean, it was like the Inhumans, the Fantastic Four, the Avengers. I mean, he was doing all these really hard to draw books. And, but he was doing four a month. Wow. And um, and I got to I got to know him. And I, I ended up doing the Avengers, and so we were working together, and we really became kind of friendly. And and then all of a sudden he was having all this trouble um, keep making his deadlines and stuff. I mean, I gave him a, a, a contract, but then he couldn't make the contract, so he keeps falling behind on his quota. I'm <clears> thinking, <throat> what, what happened? He, he used to do four books and then ask for more, or demand to do the covers, and you know. 
And uh, I'm going to skip the grody parts. I mean, he was having some really serious mar marital difficulties. And uh, um, really, I mean, one time he came to my office and he was just in tears. And just, uh, it, it really got ugly. Uh, I mean, I, I went to uh, you know, a birthday party for his wife and I met the wife's boyfriend. Does that give you a clue? Uh -huh. Um, but uh, at any rate, uh, uh, thank you. At any rate, uh, that that just his, his world was just falling apart, and and uh, he was not. He was he was he couldn't keep it up. Um, that the marriage fell apart. He ended up. Uh, what happened was right around that time, he's desperately behind on his quota at Marvel. Owes us tons of money. Uh, I didn't have the power to fix that at that point. DC offered him to come over there and start doing justice. Now, if he goes there, he gets paid. He's at Marvel. They keep taking part of his paycheck to make up for the deficit. Right. So, so he wrote me a nice three-page letter apologizing. But he, Justice League was his lifelong dream. He always dreamed of doing Justice League. You know, from right. a little kid. And he, yeah. and so he apologized. He said he really wanted to do it. And I said, I said, yeah, that's, I see, I get it, I understand. Go ahead. You know. With my blessing, so he did, and then pretty soon after that, he ended up on Teen Titans, and that took off. So he was the, the so everything was great with him. Uh, but I did work with him for a little while. He did the first couple of issues of the Korvac saga, which was basically right. his idea. Yeah. Cor he he said this, this was another Secret Wars predecessor. Mm -hmm. He said I want to do a story with everybody. <laughs> I so said, I actually wrote. Uh, so first of all, he's it's nice to see that he's really happy with his wife, right? They, uh, he seems completely happy now. Met both of them at a convention recently. Yeah. And they just seem like just such a solid couple. Um, I wrote a long essay actually on um, on the Korvac saga. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the things that jumped out at me was um, the way that you kind of goes back to this the, the the work that you or the skills that you learned from Mark Weisinger, where you uh, were able to keep the who the characters are clear, put them in situations that made them interesting. And then have the saga kind of play itself out as this larger, more complex saga. Um, I mean, there's a wonderful scene where they're all taking the bus to get to the yeah. man's house. Yeah, because because their their Avengers privileges have been shut down. <laughs> it's the only way they can go. Yeah, there was a lot of good good stuff in there, I think. But uh, somebody wrote like kind of a scholarly thing about it and sent it to me. Was that you? Uh, I don't think it was me, but I. Because it, it seems to me it was University of it was Michigan State. Uh, no, that's not me. Mine was published through um, McFarland Publishing. Okay. A book called Ages of the Avengers, but I'll be happy to send it to I'd you. I'd like to see I'd it. I'd love, love to show it to you. This other fellow uh, wrote this thing, and it was in one of those books that universities yeah. publish that starts on page 500. And, you know, I mean, it's obviously, okay. they, it comes out every month or something, and they oh, just yeah. continue it's the numbering. Di different yeah. book, yeah. Yeah. And, um, he analyzed it like it was a Shakespeare play. I mean, he, he really, it's, it's some, I mean, I, a lot of what he noted in there, I said, yeah, you got it, wow, holy cow. Then every once in a while he'd say, and then the subtlety of hit this, and I'm like, yeah, I meant that. <laughs> well, so yeah. one of the things I've, uh, Eric, Eric brought up the, um, the uh, Secret Wars too, but it kind of leads to a question I thought was interesting that spans the Korvac saga and also, um, Erica in uh, Erica Unity, Pierce. and then also um, the latter version of Dr. Solar, which is 
kind of the, the banality of people who have these amazing powers, right? Right. You have these incredibly powerful people, but they are placed in this very normal world, right? So you have the beyond the living in that window. nice house in Long Island. Um, Right. So apparently the living apparently living a very humble life. You have Erica Pierce whose whole she just seems very banal in her thoughts. Even Starbrand is kinda he has these powers but he can't kinda get out of his own head. Um, so a theme that you come back to again and again. Well I I, <coughs> I do like uh, if if I do have a theme that I, I that comes out a lot, it's probably uh, common people uh, uh, rising to exceptional challenges. Mm -hmm. And my plan for Starman was to start him as like some some clown is fooling around on his girlfriend and you know, I mean yeah. and and then have him grow into the part. Right. You know, which uh, which is kinda of what I did with Legia and Magnus. I mean, because a lot of people, you know, well, I'm gonna do Magnus, so I'm just gonna make it all my way. I said, mm -hmm. No, I'm gonna do what Russ Manning did and I'm gonna take it to where I want. You know, and when Russ Manning did it, Legion was a Pimba, you know, so she starts out as a Pimba. I mean, she's, she almost like deliberately gets into trouble so Magnus will come and rescue her. She, she's, you know, she's impetuous, she's, she's, she's childish, she's, you know, but by the end of that uh, story, she's, she, she's grown up. And uh, so I like to do that. And, you know, and I always figure, like, Erica Pierce went through the first, you know, 30-some years of her life. <laughs> You know, being a, a person, a regular person, she doesn't all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, decide to, uh, you know, uh, build her uh, Galactus worldship. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and you know, I mean, it, so she does eventually, but it takes her until the year four thousand. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I like I, I like to, you know, not only uh, common people having to rise to exceptional heroism, but but common people given power and then becoming evil, you know, mm -hmm. so, because my, my theory is always, and I've been saying this for a million years and now everybody says it, uh, is, that, is that power doesn't corrupt, power magnifies, mm -hmm. you know, um, if you're, if you're a, a good person, if you're Mother Teresa and you get power, then you're a better Mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. if, if you're uh, uh, the average person, you're perhaps self -indulgent. And if you're a person like Erica Pierce, who's got issues, <laughs> yeah, and you're you're a terror, you know, and that's that that to me, it's like it, it magnifies what you are because now you operate on a grander scale, you know, some somebody who's who's powerless and therefore, you know, relatively benign, but it's you know seething inside. Give them power, see what happens. They, they're the molecule. Not to get too uh, analytical about this, but a lot of your stories about people who have a lot of money kind of reflect that view too. They have this power and they use it for their own selfish ends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends. Like I said, I, I try to think it through and I try to have the characters be people I, that are real to me and that I relate to. People, mm -hmm. I, I do have a habit of basing characters on, on people I know and stuff. Um, but I think we're as a matter of fact, when I was a kid, when I first started writing, that's how stupid I was. Um, I just, I couldn't imagine how these guys would create these characters, and, and, and they, they, they just, you know, wow, really good. Like Stan would come up with these characters, and, and so 
a lot of my Legion characters and other characters early in DC, I was like stealing the personalities of my high school classmates. <laughs> and thinking I was cheating. <laughs> like, oh, if they ever catch me, oh, God. But, uh, I mean, I, I started doing I mean, like, for instance, Bouncing Boy. Um, before me, they played him straight. Are you kidding me? The guy bounces. You know? <laughs> Are you kidding me? So I thought, well, I'm going to play him kind of as, as the comic relief. He's, he's the, he tells everybody he's the self-appointed chief of morale. He makes you laugh. He's clever. He's funny. You know, he's self-amazing. And I, I had fun with him, you know? It was entirely based on a, on a, a, a kid I went to school with whose name was Tom Kalaski. And he used to call him, and he was kind of a chubby guy. We can use that? Huh? We can use his name? Tom Slasher, yes, sure, why not? Okay. And, uh, and, 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 and so his initials were TK, and he was kind of a chubby guy. So they used to call him T-Kettle, obviously, you know? But, I mean, he was just like that. I mean, I don't, I don't think I ripped off anything from him that was, uh, you know, too personal or too, too uh, actionable. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what I did was I made Bouncing Boy like him, witty. Funny. Everybody yeah. loved to have, have him around. He, he, he just, everybody was happy when he was there, and he was like quick and smart and funny. And, and he ended up with a beautiful girlfriend. I, or boyfriend or something. I don't know. I, maybe. I haven't seen him for decades. I mean, I mean, Bouncing Boy. Oh, Bouncing Boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know about I, Tom. I have no idea what Tom is. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would have no idea. <laughs> but, but yeah, but Bouncing Boy, I mean, that's just it. I wanted to show, like, like it's not always the handsome hero gets the girl. It's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, you know, she um, sees something in him, you know. I mean, the very first issue I wrote, she has a crush on Superboy. Okay, I wonder that I did that on purpose. <laughs> I wasn't planning Bouncing Boy at that point. But as I went along and I saw that opportunity, I said, yeah, he beats Superboy's time, you know. So, uh, so anyway, and I actually was very pleased years later when, when they did the wedding. You know, I mean, mostly because Dave Cockrum drew it, and I loved Dave. He, he was great. Boy, he did such a job on that issue. And that wedding scene, if you look care carefully, there's like, there's like uh, Marvel characters. The Avengers are there <laughs> right in the back, and all these Marvel characters and all these characters that shouldn't be there are there. Unofficial crossover. Yeah. But well, that's the thing. I knew you were probably the first creator or writer to bring that Marvel sensibility into DC. DC was all archetypes. They used to call me their Marvel writer, and they right. meant it as an insult. Yeah. They did. I mean, they, on one hand, Mort and the other guy, Bob Haney, all these guys, they, they, would, they would kind of get snarky with me, and, you know, and, and you know, uh, oh, I used to write that Marvel crap, you know. And uh, on the other hand, Mort saw that it was doing all right. And, and right. Was, I mean, for instance, well, the very first issue I wrote had a statement of ownership, a postal statement of ownership, and it was selling around 500,000 copies. The very last issue I wrote had a postal statement of ownership, and it was selling around 500,000 copies. And every other DC title in that period mm -hmm. went down. The reason they took, uh, they uh, put the Legion as a backup feature in action was because Mort had convinced himself that the Legion was diluting the sales of Superboy. <laughs> and if you check that run, you'll find that there's a couple issues in there where he deliberately took Superboy and Supergirl out and uh, and then just to see what the sales effect would be and of course the sales went down. But uh, uh, I didn't write those issues. Mort did them himself with the uh, you know, some very volatile um, 
but I mean, he replaced them like Superboy and, and uh, Supergirl leave, and they're replaced by these masked characters, Surprise and Mysterious. Okay. <laughs> so, so, but you know, he just—it was just an experiment to see what would happen if there were no super super characters in there. And uh, and so he talked himself into the fact he, he talked himself into the idea that Superman and Superboy would sell better if Legion was not a, a its own book. But didn't that speaks, work. Did not work. That speaks to the importance of uh, relatability and character development. Those are the sort of yeah. you know, narrative storyline uh, aspects that you adhered to. And, and, and learned from Stan. And, yeah, stuff. right, from Stan. I mean, like I said, I mean, when I was working at DC, uh, all right, they had the Batman, which had a great burst of was selling like a million copies for a while because of the Batman TV show. I'm not saying they didn't have any successes, but in general, DC Comics were on a downward trend. And I remember there was, we used to talk about it all the time. And I, actually, I went to Mort's house once, and you know what? In his office and in his house, there were stacks of Marvel Comics everywhere. Because he was trying to figure out what, what the hell is going on here. Why are, we, why are they winning and we us losing? There was a meeting one time where they were talking about, um, I, I kept my mouth shut, but they were talking about what is it? You know, how can these books be selling? And they're holding up Marvel books and talking about how garish the coloring is, how ugly the art is. Ugly art. They're holding up Kirby books and saying, look how ugly this I can't draw yeah. it all. You know? And, uh, and then, and then I remember point. one guy said, said here's, here's a full page shot of this guy, the angel, just glorying and exulting in the joy of flying. And he says, Superman flies all the time. And I said, exactly. <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> I wanted to say it. But, and then one guy says, he says, well, here's two pages of, of Spider-Man in a civilian identity talking to his aunt. Says, the kids are going to be bored to tears. And I'm thinking, no, we're not. <laughs> because they just didn't get it. And to this day, they don't get it, really. I mean, they, they've That's done, this. they do, uh, they get Marvel guys and they do kind of a, a you know, sort of a, a, a imitation of what, Marvel used to, but Marvel isn't doing it either. So yeah. Marvel's doing an imitation of what it used to do, and uh, but they missed the point entirely. They just, they just don't get it. So who knows? But anyway, uh, yeah, we're kind of done. <laughs> we run the sure gamut. How much time is there? <laughs> um, so probably three something out of that. Almost four. <laughs> Um, uh, well, at least uh, wrap up this, well, I think we have other interviews to talk about the ending of, um, of Broadway, so I don't need to go into that in detail. Why don't you give us a, tell, tell us how you got involved with Unity 2000. Um, I got a call from this guy, Mike Martz, who was working at Acclaim, and they were pub publishing comics. So they, I guess they, they bought Valiant, they did pretty much crashed and burned. They were trying to, you know, work with it again, trying to uh, use Shadow Man and, uh, uh, you know, build something. And, and I, I, I don't know who came up with the idea of hiring me, but they, you know, they realized that in Shadow Man, I had predicted that Shadow Man would die in 1999 Sorry. In, in the Unity story. And so what they wanted to do was to, to kind of get their universe, to clean house in their universe, do another Unity, 
and also do the, the, the death of Shadow Man, you know, as promised. And to, to me, I, that, that death of Shadow Man thing, I remember before in this conversation saying to you that, that we were daring because we knew we could do it again. Mm -hmm. We didn't have to worry about, it wasn't like when we had a hit, it was an accident. Uh, so when I was at Valiant and all these books started selling huge numbers, I mean, I had people actually say to me, well, you, know, you couldn't possibly, if it keeps selling like this, you couldn't possibly cancel it. I said, oh, yes, I will. You betcha I will, and we'll make history. You know, book canceled due to death of character, <laughs> and and stick with it, and and you know, and, and like it, it'll it'll shake everybody up. It'll everybody will it'll blow their minds. They canceled a book selling half a million copies because he said so. You know, <laughs> and that's what happened with Ryan after number eight. And so so I mean, the, to me, it's like it's like yeah, it wasn't quite the, the big hit that I was thinking Shadowman might be, but but I, I said because if we do that. Who will dare look away? You know, one, and number two, we can do it again, and 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 they can't, we can't, mm -hmm. and and so uh, uh, as I said, like I said, when I first started out, I couldn't get artists, so it's just me fighting with story, keeping people there all hours of the day and night, fighting with man hours because you have no money to pay anybody. I drew some stuff, I can't draw, but I drew it because there was no money. I couldn't pay anybody, mm -hmm. couldn't get any artists. So I'm drawing like the fifth issue of Magnus, and you know, fortunately, with between Bob and, and Don Perlin, they could touch it up a little bit, and Bob would ink it. And you actually just ink the faces, and the, the kids, if you look at it, anything that's smaller than a big head, <laughs> looks like it was inked by kind of an amateur. <laughs> um, but but anyway, the point the point is, I mean, like uh, uh, we would have done that. So anyway, he called me up and he said, "Well, let's let's do that," you know. And I said, "Okay." So I wrote this, I think it was a six issue story. Six issues, yeah, only three actually. Three actually came out. Uh, uh, he said, who can we get to draw it? And I said, um, I said, I don't know. It seems to me somebody told me Starlin was looking for work. Oh, Starlin, you, you could get Starlin? That's all, I don't know, I'll call him. And uh, sure enough, he, he was looking for work and he, he was happy to do it. And uh, it was a little weird because with him, I kind of had to do it Marvel style. He didn't want to be tied down too much, but he he basically did what I wanted, and uh, you know he, he's he's good, and, and he basically did what I wanted. Uh, it was a, it was kind of a good story, and it was gonna it was gonna accomplish everything I wanted it to accomplish, and maybe help them do a relaunch. Uh, but they were running out of money, and they were dying. And like you said, only three issues came out. Yeah, I think they that was the third revival of the of the McLean comics line too. So. It was literally them going down for the third time. Yeah, really. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I, I wrote all the, uh, I wrote all the plots, in detail. I wrote five of the scripts. Never did write the last script. Uh, got paid for what I did. And, uh, and then it, 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 they just, gone. But, uh, that was that was the idea. Later, Marks was one of the guys at DC. When I worked with the Legion. He was. He was the editor. That didn't yeah, work out. That was, that was a work out bad experience. It was terrible. Yeah. It was just terrible. I just was, it was ugly. We were um, looking at the post that Bleeding Cool had about the frustrations with the art when they left out images and didn't deliver what you had hoped for at all. Yeah, just, yeah, just um, apathy, bad communication, 
all sorts of things were open. And the thing is, I was writing full scripts of that stuff. Right. You know, so the artist just arbitrarily decides to and change something. Right. It's like, well, who made him editor? <laughs> right. And the editor actually read this script and approved it. What the, why are you changing it? You know? Now, sir, I try to tell you, the craft is going to help. Right. When I, back when I worked with, uh, you know, the, the, in the ancient days of Woody and, and Kurt Swan and even, you know, Lesser Lights in that in that little pantheon. They they, I'm 14, and these guys, Woody is listening to me. He's doing what I tell him, right? And I already gave him like a rough indication with a layout there and that where the balloon. But they left space for the copy. Most of them faked in lettering to make sure they left enough room. Kurt special Kurt especially because he was a great letterer. Um, uh, you know, I mean, like, uh, they really uh, did. Now, these guys, I give them a description. They draw whatever they damn well please. They put the guy who speaks first on the lower right-hand corner of the panel. There's never time to redraw it, but there's always time for me to rewrite it. <laughs> and so then I've got to rearrange the dialogue so this guy speaks last. Right. And, and you know, and, and so I, I write, the, I wrote every book twice. So I write it, I get the art, and it's, it's, it's all finished. And there's no time to redraw anything. And then I have to go through my script and try to cobble it together and make it make it work. And and the, you know there's and then if you so much as say anything to these guys, they get all huffy about it. Right. I keep saying I, again and again, clear, so that anyone in the world who looks at this image and can say even though they don't know the characters, oh that guy hit this guy, you know. Or whatever, mm -hmm. but you know you get stuff that just meaningless, so. and then they get annoyed when you mention. It. <laughs> <laughs> Is that still a holdover? Do you think from the whole image thing, where basically what it looked like mattered, and what the story was was largely irrelevant? The image. Yeah, but that's uh, you know, those guys are making pages to sell in the aftermarket, and uh, it was it was all flash and dazzle and not much story. That that's another reason why at. at, at uh, Value. We we tried to go story intensive because we could. I didn't have the artists to compete yeah. with. Them. I couldn't do flash and dazzle. Yeah. And uh, I, I the only thing I had to fight with was story. And I, so I thought about you know like stand stuff back in, in uh, when I was a kid, where you pick pick one of those up and there was a lot of story and you felt like you'd seen a movie and it was satisfying. Yeah. And it was clear. I didn't have to ever <laughs> you know stare at it and puzzle about what it was. And uh, and I thought, well, if I can, if that's, no one else is doing that, so that'll make us stand out. And if I can, if I can do it well enough, we win. And uh, it took us a year, but we won. And then I lost. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, that was that was part of the part of the theory. You know, just just try to. I tried to get. I was killing myself, and I tried to get uh, other people to to write. And I tried this lady. Uh, Perosage, I think. I ended up having to, having to rewrite a lot of that, and then it wrote. It just wasn't that good. And then I, I tried Steve Englehart. That was a disaster. Because Steve is one of those big guns you can't name. He's going to do whatever he wants, and you know. And, and I, I said, Steve, try to do continuity here. You know. And he said, Here's how it works. So Steve, here's how it works. I do whatever I want, and you adjust to me. I said, no, I do whatever I want, and you go away. <laughs> Big stink over that. But anyway, then we tried. Finally, I got Roger Stern. 
which is like a gift from God. I mean, Roger was not only great, did a tremendous job. Roger, uh, he'd catch my comedy mistakes. He'd call me up, he'd say, dummy, look what you did here. Oh, jeez. He said, here's how to fix it. Do this and do this. Okay. Thanks, Roger. <laughs> so, you know, and we had uh, Michelin, talented guy. Professional. Professional. I mean, he, uh, he's got, he got off on this with Rye, he got off on this sort of this um, political uh, intrigue thing and, and probably not the best move, but, uh, but you know, a talented guy. This turns out really well. Um, so why don't we wrap with a really simple, obvious question? Sure. Uh, since we, we, this is going to be like a 25,000 <laughs> at at, at this point in your career, what do you see as your most important place? I think the creator writes stuff. I think the fact that I came into Marvel and uh, in those days it was strictly work for hire. You do a page, it's page rate, you get your check, that's it. You're done. And so what did I, what I did was pretty much the same laundry list of stuff that, that Neil won. I managed over, over some time. I had the continuity bonus. I finally got the, uh, the the royalties, which we called sales incentive, because royalty implies ownership, yeah. and that was because of the curtain. Mm -hmm. um, I got uh, 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 approved uh, reprint payments. I got uh, I, I doubled the rates and I doubled them again. And I kept raising them every. I mean, I had my budget and I pushed it to the limit. Um, I, uh, I I I said if this is work for hire, and it must be work for hire. I can't change that. They won't let me. I said, if this is work for hire, then it has to be fair work for hire. It has to be good work for hire. So I said, we always provided the paper. And that was a, that was a sop to, you know, like, oh, see, it's, it's really ours. We own the paper. Mm -hmm. um, I said, no, no, you, we not only provide the paper, we provide the pens and the ink and the Windsor Newton brushes that cost you 100 bucks and the pencils. And, the, and, and we pay postage, and we pay your phone bill. And if I ask you to come into the office, I'll pay your train ticket. And everything. Now, if it's work for hire, fine. It costs you nothing. You know, everything is provided. You know, uh, we'll cheerfully, you know, some, some guys still insisted on they had to have a certain thing that they only buy in Antarctica or something. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, essentially, if they sent me a receipt, they got paid. And, uh, uh, and then we had life insurance for freelancers. You had to do $7,500 worth of work a year for us. That's about three jobs, okay? And then you're covered under life insurance, $10,000 life insurance policy. If you uh, did $7,500 worth of work, you're covered under a major medical. Freelancers, you know? And, and, uh, and of course, the contract people all got all that stuff too. And I standardized that so that Joe Sinnott got this, uh, at least the same vacation as Mike Esposito did. You know, and, and all that, and um, you know, really improved the the lot for creators. And then, of course, that got me better creators. And I kept whipping them and flogging them, and trying to get them to tell stories. But but it just it started to just grow because because we had we started getting like the who's who of comics was in it. You know, you walk up and down the hall. There's Michael Golden. There's Wilson Kevich. There's there's Walt. There's Louise. There's Archie. For Christ's right. sake. There's Larry Hama. There's you know, all these just great talents. And, uh, and you know, it's like, and like I said, I, I tried to get out of the way for the ones that knew what they were doing and help the ones that were beginners or, or needed help. 
and then occasionally argue with the, with the with the Chris Claremonts who who were great, but they sometimes wanted to do weird stuff. You know? And, and, and you know, so I mean, uh, it, 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 a lot of good stuff happened, and we did a lot of good uh, good work, and uh, uh, had a pretty good time doing it. You know, and we worked our tails off. We really did, even at even at Marvel, long hours. I can't tell you how many times I'd walk out of that building at two in the morning because I ten blocks home, so I'd walk. And I, I got to know all the hookers who hung out on the. <laughs> it was so funny. It's like I go out and they say, "Oh, there's you know, there's Jim. Hi, you know." And I'm like, and I remember this one one girl was new, and so she says, "Hey, honey, want a date? You know, or hey, Slim, want a date?" And I said, uh, and the other girl said, "Oh, he don't date. <laughs> he don't date." <laughs> I'm like, "Thanks anyway, ladies. You know, see you. Good night." But uh, I mean, like our, our kids all the time. Uh, we did some all-nighters there too. I mean, we we worked really hard, and we goofed off a lot too. I mean, when, whenever we could, we had some fun. Uh, I had Mark Grunewald. He was crazy. He'd come up with all this nutso stuff that the uh, you know ideas. I mean, I'll show you. I, I, he, he, Starts putting up these signs, you know, join the great Marvel whack off contest. <laughs> whack, whack off with Marvel. Marvel whacks off best, you know. And I, what the hell is this, you know? And, and he says, oh, Thursday, you'll see Thursday. You know, so okay. So we all come in Thursday. He has got one of those little rubber balls on a rubber band and the paddle. Oh. So we're going to whack the ball, and whoever gets, the, whoever gets to keep the, get the ball in the air the longest wins. And I don't okay. think he won, but he won something. And he had somebody, and I don't even know who it was, do a caricature of each person on their paddle. Because he signed oh, up for wow. it. So I have mine over there. That's and it was funny as hell. And he was always doing crazy stuff like that. And, and, and they were all, one time he comes to me and says, is it okay if I don't let anybody into my office for a couple months? I said, what? He said, we need privacy. <laughs> and I said, this is like, it's August, you know. I said, what for? And he said, I can't tell you. I said, all right, if you get the work done, if you can meet with the guys in the coffee room or, you know, fine, then I'll leave you alone. I said, but it don't, you can't let it interfere with the operation. He said, no, no. Wait. So sure enough, he's almost like sets up the, in the spare room, he's like, made that his office and he's got paper over his windows because all the offices had glass in the front and uh, he's got those papered up and I, I'd leave late and so I'm going out at night it's, it's like 10 o'clock at night here hammering and sawing in there <laughs> you know what they did I mean there was a, there's a fair size office they turned it, it they made it a haunted house for Halloween oh. a haunted house and I'm like, oh God, all I need to do is for somebody from upstairs to come down here and see this. Because everybody's lined up to go in the haunted house. And you'd go in and it was dark. And then creepy things would come down from the ceiling. And oh, you'd have good. to go up creepy stairs. and All this stuff, you know. I mean, and so I'm like, oh God. And then I notice I've got the vice president of uh, business affairs in line. I've got, we're <laughs> okay. You're all right. So, uh, so it was, but it was always the crazy stuff like that. Just, just, just not so stuff. Others too, but he was sort of the regulator. Yeah. Yeah. A, a great guy. Yeah. So, you know, they had, they had fun. But they worked their asses off. And, uh, uh, when we moved into this place, it was like a long string of offices. And they all had glass fronts. So the editors are in the offices and the bullpen is outside. The big room for the bullpen. 
And the editors felt like they were in a fishbowl because like all these people are like looking at me. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and so they're complaining to me like crazy. And uh, so I went to, uh, I guess, Kaplan. I said, we had to do something. We had curtains or something here. And he said, well, he said, yeah, we've had some complaints from people up here because the offices in the upstairs floor was like that too. A lot of them had glass fronts. So, uh, uh, so anyway, not mine, not theirs, but a lot of them. Um, so they got curtains. I told everybody, just get it. It's going to be two weeks. And the curtains just, just tough it out, you know. So everybody toughed it out. We got curtains. They were kind of like those curtains. They were just it's not quite okay. that see-through, but at least you couldn't. It wasn't, you know, as blatant as it was. So this is fine for a while. A year later, uh, I see these guys, you know, workmen taking down the curtains. I said, "What's going on?" Well, we're taking them out to clean. We'll be back in a week. Great. Uh, so the editors are, what's going on? We're in a fishbowl again. Oh my God. Yeah. And I said, it's only a week. You know, and they're like, oh, this sucks. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so I told my secretary, Lynn, I said, hey, you know that you know that store that sells Christmas stuff all year? And she said, yeah. It's, you know, up in Union Square area. And she said, yeah. I said, go up there and buy me a case of spray snow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I give her money. She's just, oh great. She loved that kind of thing. She loved these secret missions. You know, that was the, she. She had fun with it. So she goes up and she comes back to the case of spray snow. And she said, "What do I do with it?" I said, "Well, open it up." I said, "Just take it in." And then, right in front of the bullpen is a bunch of filing cabinets. They use as counter space. I said, "Take it in. Put it on the put it on the counter. Open. And just walk away. Just leave it. See what happens. You know." So sure enough, one goes, sets a box on for it. Eventually, somebody comes over trying to see what it is. Spray snow. Hmm. Next thing you know, these guys are all spray painting on the windows. But they're they're not just. These are artists. They're drawing. <laughs> so they're doing cartoons and stuff in spray snow on the glass. And uh, Sinkevich sees it. He grabs one and he does the glass on uh, the X Men office. He he. You know, commandeers that, and, and, and he starts drawing, and he gets carried away. And all of a sudden, the drawing is running up onto the ceiling, and onto the wall, <laughs> and onto the wall. And it's all over the place. Everybody's having a ball. So, this, uh, this happened a lot. Galton, the president of the company, who was a very businesslike guy, he would come down to, from his floor, there was a stairway connecting, he would come down to our floor so he could go out the freight elevator in the back, because that was actually closer to his house, which was in Bramson Park. <clears throat> so, so he comes down and he's looking at these windows, <laughs> losing his mind. And I have, I used to watch him when I would see him coming. He, my office was near the stairs, so I could see sometimes when somebody would pass. And when he, whenever he passed, I kind of sneak behind him just to see how he'd react to whatever nonsense we had done. He's losing his mind. So anyway, whenever you know, I was making too much money for him to yell at me, so what he would do is he would go <laughs> yell at Joe in the mailroom. The guy that ran the mail room, he would yell at Joe, and Joe would come and he'd call him furious. And I said, you know, well, why do you yell at you? I don't know, but he's really mad. So, so anyway, um, um, so he told me that Gollum was all upset about all this stuff on the windows. So I wrote him a memo, and I, I, I said, you know, look, it's just for the week while the curtains are gone. Um, the guys did it on their own time. We'll clean it up entirely on our own time. When, when and clean the windows before the before the guys come. Actually, they were sending them window cleaners, but we would get all that stuff off the windows. Yeah. And uh, uh, 
And then I said, I said, by the way, I understand that all the curtains on the tenth floor are going out next week. Would you like us to come and decorate your windows? <laughs> well, I never got a reply. I don't know why. <laughs> but we would always do that. He was always every time he came to our floor. I don't know why he went through there. It just it just upset him. I mean, one time we, we had a pillar in the middle of the open. Right after we first moved in, there was a pillar, and there was a clock on it. And there, it was we needed a lot of electrical outlets, so there was an electrical outlet also in the pillar. So one of these clowns takes an electrical cord and hooks it to the clock so it dangles just short of the outlet. So Galton's walking through and he looks over and he sees this cord that doesn't quite reach the out outlet. So he calls the architect. <laughs> and the architect comes in, Bob Summer, the bald head. And he calls the architect. I, I'm so once again, I'm <laughs> he calls the architect and he's yelling at the architect for the piss poor planning and the core doesn't reach the the outlet and you know, how could you do this? And and the architect says, he says, he says, you notice that the clock is running. Gum goes, What? He says, it's a battery clock, <laughs> And they're like, oh. I hate these guys. <laughs> it's like it was like uh, Mikhail's Navy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> And then, the, oh, Jesus. And the, the other thing, the, the very first day we moved in this new place, these are artists. It's a bullpen. They're sticking post-its on the wall and pictures and, you know, all kinds of crap. There's stuff all over the wall. Well, Galton comes out that night, sees all this crap on the wall, loses his mind. Brand new space. These guys are sticking up, you know, like drawings and things. Loses his mind. Yells at Joe in the Joe in the Maryland comes to me next, next morning. He says, oh, Galton's furious, you know. I said, yeah, I know. And he says, he says, he says that nothing is allowed to be on the wall that isn't in our frame. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I told the guys, and I told them literally, I said, Galton says you can't have anything on the wall that isn't framed. Before that day was over, everything had a paper frame. A paper frame around the, the, the uh, outlet. There was a paper frame around the clock. These guys made frames for every little scrap and post-it note. There was a frame around it. So he comes down that night, and he looks, and he just goes, <laughs> Curses, fall again. But he left us alone after that, because yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> these guys are not going to, you know, be all, it's not going to look like an insurance office. It's yeah. not going to be all neat and tidy, you know, they're, they're going to do all this stuff. And they did. Oh, man, wow, did we? We did crazy stuff. It was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, oh, and we had a stat machine delivered once. It comes in this enormous cardboard box. Okay, enormous. So Ron Zolney, like one of my head production guys, he looks at this box. Mm. So it's a very sturdy box. So he puts it where his desk is. He puts his desk in it, and he makes it into an office, like with, with, a, little, with a little shelf. You know, <laughs> the production man is in. You know, like like yeah. Lucy. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> And he made it into an office. Well, that went over real big, too, I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> His own private space. Yeah, really. It's a giant, he's in a giant box. <laughs> made a door, you know. <sighs> uh, bunch of clowns. Oh, thank you.